0: Hello, and welcome to the E-Team Podcast. These are conversations with ministry and marketplace leaders from across the country that provide insight and encouragement. For more information about this podcast and any and all resources provided by the E-Team, please check us out at e inccom We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and uh, welcome to another episode edition of eTalks. So this is our um, eTeam podcast platform. We get a chance to have conversations with, with ministry and marketplace and nonprofit organizations, leaders from across the country, and uh, just to provide some insight and some encouragement. And um, today I'm excited to be introducing our, our guest, Mr. T.J terry uh tj how you doing today
1: good 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 Good. thanks glad to be here
0: yeah tj is a director of operations and communications at waters edge church which is a multi-site uh campus church uh, in yorktown williamsburg and newport news and uh so and i just thank you so much for joining us today if you don't mind just tell us a little bit about who you are and and kind
1: of your role here at water's edge yeah yeah for sure yeah glad to be here um if you go back to the earliest version of me, what I went to school for, I'm, I'm, I'm a lead singer by nature, went to school for vocal performance. And that was not the path that God led, led me on. And the rest of my life after college has been in, in one role or another of, of leadership in business. Um, and most recently the last, um, since 2009, so the last 11 years in church leadership. And, um, yeah, here at Water's Edge, again, executive director of operations and communications and really lead everything from the finance of the church to the general facility management, background operations, systems processes, and then the internal and external communications. So how we talk internal and then how we communicate external at the same time too. Gotcha. Great. Great. Well, and tell us about your family. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lovely wife. We've been married now uh, for 23 years. Yeah. And then we have a 22 a year old. So we got to work fast and um, he's a senior in college at App State University and then a junior in college at UNC Wilmington. And then our youngest, a little bit of a jump, seventh grade uh, at Booker T. Washington, go Booker T here in um in the Newport News area. We live in in Newport News. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they kind of follow in your footsteps a little bit? Any musicians? My oldest is a musician. Yeah. Okay. He's not going to school for it, but um he was named Lennon after John Lennon. And so he had no choice. Oh, Plays go. guitar. <laughs> um my middle son is a really great singer, but doesn't doesn't do it. Um pretty good DJ, does a little bit of that. And then um my youngest is crazy musical. We'll see. Um my commitment early on was, you know, I was a a football, basketball, soccer player that did music. And I would never force those things on my boys. Right. If they chose them themselves, then I would, I would jump in and do everything I could to help, but I never wanted to obligate them to take the steps I took. So yeah. That's good.
0: That's good. Well, Hey, you're, were, you were part of the core team at Apple, um, that helped launch the iPhone world run, correct? Yep. And, um, And what was that like, man? Like that transition from Apple. I mean, we all know Apple now and probably didn't know them as well then, but uh, of course global, I mean, they're leading global communications and, um, and operations organization, um, working and leading teams from, from an Apple standpoint. And then that transition into ministry, it had to be a big shift maybe maybe not if you don't mind just share about your early days at, at apple and, and the teams that you led and then kind of how that transition worked and going into the ministry
1: oh sure yeah it was a it was a wild ride i was there for 12 years and in the start it was it was just a uh, I was the head of store in indianapolis indiana in, in one location at that okay. point there were only 47 apple stores there mm-hmm. are I mean, almost, probably almost 400 globally now. And in one of 47, you're kind of isolated. There was no other store in the state of Indiana. Columbus, Ohio to to Indianapolis was as close as it got. And so you become kind of the, um, I don't mean to say it this way, but kind of the king of your own island. You were the, the representation other than a few sales reps for Apple in the entire state. And so small team, giant revenue. And I'd been doing retail leadership by that point, um, since 1991. So it had been, you know, I'd already got 11 years of experience from really, really young, um, and thought I knew what I was doing and, and learned that it was a whole nother level. I mean, it was going from being a good, uh, good college basketball player to, to the NBA, right? Yeah. So unless you're Michael Jordan, things change. And I kind of felt like I was and I wasn't. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, the funny thing was, you know, three years in, I, I got invited to transition from a store to Cupertino to be a part of the corporate team. And that wasn't through self-promotion. That was just through doing everything I could to be great at what I was doing in that moment. And and then I got a random phone call from a guy who came to visit the store once. Hey, would you come take my job? I'm, I'm moving to Australia. Um, really? And um, it's funny. I remember getting home that night after that phone call and telling my wife. She was like, I've never even... Like I've never been past Vegas. I've never even been to California. Why in the world would we go? That we just bought a house. Our kids are young. And and I said in that moment, I feel like God's got something to teach us there. And and I have no idea why this opportunity's been placed in front of us. I'm just a dumb musician. But but God's put this in front of us. Um, I believe I believe we need to go there and we need to learn. And so we got there. And at that time I was running one team of like, it was just three of us, two guys and me. And it was really just running, um, global, it was, uh, North America store support. And so it was some systems and operations, but it was mostly, if you've got a problem at the store, you you call this number and one of my team or I would respond. It was just, it was a pretty tiny team every six months for the next few years. Um, I would get another team and another team another team and another team. And, another team. and, and in very short order, what, what kind of had a whole part of the building, I mean, it had a whole department of folks doing everything from daily operations and store support to store communications, to retail translation and localization globally, to special projects. And we'll talk about that one a little bit more to um, store systems, to uh, r- new store openings and remodels. I mean, it was kind of retail supply and that one was a giant, giant one. And so all those teams reported up into me. Um, And I remember going home from work some nights and just going, God, thank you for for making sure they didn't figure me out today. That I don't, I don't, in what world do I get the chance to do this? Always humbled by it and always did everything I could to to be the best at what I was doing. Special projects was interesting because a lot of times it was a conference or a new a new rollout of something small or product launches. But um, oftentimes a product launch was an, a new laptop and that matters. Every new product matters. But it wasn't wasn't what iPhone was and, and there's a lot of stories I can't tell about that season, but I was invited one of really a small room. I mean, six was as big as the room got people that, um, that launched, you know, the first iPhone. And it's hard to remember now the first iPhone was really just the U S and was only sold at Apple retail stores or at and stores. There was no online, there was no option, but going physically, that was kind of how phones were sold back back in the day. Right. right? It's almost like got buying a car. It was a multi-hour experience. You had to go to a physical place. You had to give them all your information, take blood, all that. <laughs> and so got to be a part of a really small team to launch the first one. And it went okay. Yeah. Um, so it got to be a part of it the second time, the third time, the fourth time. And each time then it was more, more outlets. So online became a resource, more countries. So I got to do it in, I don't even six or seven countries. Um, and, and each time it was, it was almost like a slow boil, right? It got more and more bigger and bigger and more and more complex and harder and harder. And, and there were definitely times in that season where I felt like it went poorly enough. I remember calling my wife from New York City after a launch saying, Han, hey, they're going to fly me back, but I might be looking for a job after this. It didn't go, today wasn't a great day. And fortunately I was, I got, I had the confidence and trust of, of, of the people you needed to have confidence and trust and got the chance to continue to do it. Okay. That's a long answer to the first half. No. Um, I was on, I, I traveled home to Indiana where I grew up, um, because of a family member passing in 2009. Um, and got a call for me, it was out of the blue from a guy who I'd known. We'd been friends like remote friends in him living in North Carolina, me living in California mm-hmm. for a long, long time. He was a pastor at a church. I went to in Indianapolis and just said, Hey, and I said, hey, man, is everything okay? Did somebody pass? Like, we never talk on the phone. We text, but we never talk on the phone. Everything okay? Yeah, yeah, everything's okay. Um, I'm going to ask you something. No reason why you'd say yes to this, but I really feel compelled that that you're the person I need to ask this question to. You know, would you consider stepping away from your role at Apple and moving across the country and um, helping me run this, this church, this thing we're doing? Hmm. Um, just think about it. And so I remember talking to my wife that day, similar conversation. Why in the world would you do that? <laughs> um, I don't know why I would do it, hun. Mm-hmm. And I knew that we went there for God to teach me something. I didn't know what God was teaching me for. And I always felt like I was going to get tugged into ministry. It would be a worship leader job. It would be a music ministry space because that's how I was made. That was what I was made to do. Um, but got the call out of the blue over a couple months, talked a lot traveled out as a part of my Apple travel but stopped by there to see the, the church and the space and, and um, I remember about two months later a, I mean it was 2009 right about now was September Labor Day weekend give or take and I just said no and it was the simple stuff right it was it was one tenth the pay it was a global job to a, a highly local job it was a I think at the time my my department's budget was around 14 billion dollars <laughs> to a two and a half million dollar <laughs> church. Yeah. And, uh, and so nothing made sense in it. And so I said, I said, no. And I remember getting an email from my friend. It was, a, I counted, it was 1100 words. It's like the longest email I've ever received in my life, I think. <laughs> and he just couldn't, couldn't shake that. I may have said no to the thing that God had made me to do. The thing mm-hmm. that God had prepared me for, been preparing me for and just said, Hey, I know you're good at decisions. You do that for a living. Would you consider not making a decision? Was what he invited me into. Would you consider not deciding right now? And let's just keep the conversation going. I'll check in every once in a while, um, and um, and 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 maybe 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 God will lead you in a different direction. And it took two months, and up uh, ended, ended up saying yes. And, and so then we moved, it was December 2nd, moved across the country and jumped headlong into ministry. And it's funny because I, I um, time and time again, the experience that I gained in that environment right. was, was used for, for good, used to move the kingdom forward right. in material ways in, 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 a spot I couldn't have imagined. So, you know, it's very similar problems. Um, and it's funny because because the magnitude of that job, I think there's an assumption that it was a whole lot harder. There were more hours. Right. There was more at stake. Um, there was more competition. There was much more fierce. Mm-hmm. Um, the consequences though, are we do or don't sell a device. Right. Um, the consequences in the role I play now and the role I moved across the country for is infinitely larger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the stakes are higher. Right. Um, the Funny thing, the big difference, if my work was bad, but I went to church on Sunday, I could still have a great experience. My work is bad now. Church is bad. Right. Like, it. it's all intertwined. Yeah. Um, and I think the last piece, too, is margin. There, I could make and did make multi-million dollar mistakes. Yeah. Nothing bad happened. I mean... We would, we would acknowledge that we made some mistakes and we need to be better next time. There was a ton of margin, right. a ton of margin. Um, there's no margin in nonprofit world and there's definitely no margin in church. Um, and so I think the last part that was a big adjustment for me was a, an employee-led organization, a volunteer-led organization. And I don't mean from an eldership perspective or a board of directors. I really mean we can't do what we do without those volunteers. Right. And the amount of leadership that really goes into moving the organization forward is, Mm -hmm. is significantly more difficult to a frustrating degree sometimes than when you've got a group of people that, 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 um, that's their, their livelihood is, is, is at stake as a part of it too. Right. So, yeah, right. Yeah. Well, that
0: makes me ask the next question about like those leaders, you know, in leadership we hear sometimes in the language we hear about these leadership lids that we have to bust through. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure, you know, with your, with your time at Apple, you know, you had some challenges and obstacles, like you said, and you had people there to kind of bounce off to, to get through as a team, you come into a whole new situation. And a lot of your team is volunteer, especially early on in a church life cycle, it may have been just you and the lead or you kind of added pieces along the way. And so like, I'm sure you were able to bust through some of the leadership leads, leads at Apple where there are completely like some new leadership leads and like leadership things and challenges and obstacles that you were facing. Cause you're right. It does cross. It did cross over in many ways, but I'm sure it, may have magnified in some ways too, because now you're working with volunteers. <laughs> now, yeah. now you're working on, you know, clear communication as far as, um, different roles and responsibilities and things like that. And you're working with the limited staff who does many, 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 many things. Um, if you don't mind share some of
1: that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I took some notes on this one that I think there are four big ones and it really three of them or two and a half of the, the, the four were, were lessons learned at Apple. Um, the others definitely were a part of, of the church culture piece, but yeah. I think the first one, one of my favorite cultural values we had at Apple was the concept of fearless feedback, fearless feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was huge for me because I'd been in leadership since I was 16 years old. And, um, and i Though I'm a performer by training. Um, if I would sing, let's say a Sunday morning at the church I was at in California, if I was leading worship and singing, um, I appreciated the applause when a song was done, right? But I would never go out and mingle in the lobby after <laughs> because there's that transaction that happens where someone tells you you did a great job or tells you you missed a note. And I was always very, uh, the, the analogy that I use is is a fine artist is not a good graphic designer because they take their art very personal. And when you give them feedback, it hurts much more deeply than if you're a graphic designer where you realize it's not my product anyways, right? right. I found when I transitioned to Apple corporate, that that's kind of how my leadership was. Mm. That if, if I had an opportunity for growth or I hit a lid, With regards to a skill, a competency, a strength of mine that to get feedback on it, I would, I would, I would, it felt like it was an insult to my soul, not to, to the function of the work that I do or the leadership role that I had. And so Apple has a concept where, and I hope it's still a part of the culture there, but fearless feedback. And that means if you're the lowest on the totem pole. Um, you, if you see somebody that's up the chain or sideways or below you, that's not living out our culture, our cultural values, not, not working in a way that aligns with the organization's expectations, that you should be fearless in giving that feedback. And you should be fearless in receiving that feedback. And one of the things that I learned about there that I hadn't participated in prior was the importance of, of having moments at least once a year where leaders go through a 360 degree feedback session where it's peers, bosses, and direct reports. And they fill out a, you know, uh, a survey about the core competencies that that the organization embraces are important in that person's role in in that department. Mm-hmm. And, and it's open feedback. And I remember the first few years I did that, I would open it, and I, I mean, I cried the first time I got it cause I wasn't who I thought I was. Right. And not only not to my, or my boss didn't know me. Like m- when I first started at Apple, went through these sessions, my boss was in California that we never saw each other. We talked every other week. They never got to see me do what I did. They only got to see the results of the work that I did. And that was the measurement by which I was good or bad. And it was hard, but now I'm in the, one of the things that really opened the door for me creates self-awareness, but also a strong sense of, of who I am is, is just the level of comfort I have with feedback from my team, feedback from my boss, feedback from my peers, feedback from a volunteer um, in the current context. And um, it, it leads you to a lot fewer of assumptions. You know, I think in leadership, we have self-deception. Mm-hmm. We have the belief that we're the leader that we are. And if we don't create systems and processes to break us out of that paradigm, we may not realize uh, our own lids. Um, so that was, I think that's, one, yeah, I think two. I was this was an Apple moment too, but I was definitely uh, a one size fits all leader, and and what I mean by that is my primary leadership style when I was a young leader was was high direction, high support. So I would not only tell you that you could do it, but I would give you every step you needed to do the thing I needed you to do, and and it disabled growth and development. Mm-hmm. And when somebody's good at their job, and you tell them you can do it, and here's how, they don't believe you. If I'm good at my job, why are you telling me how to do it and that I can do it? I know I can do it, but I was a high direction and it was, it was a lack of trust. It was control when opposite swing, when I got to Apple corporate and started to move up, I became a delegator. And, and neither of those, if that's a one size fits all leadership approach, yeah. neither of those work. Because if you don't know what you're doing and you say, Hey, I need you to take ownership of this project. I trust you can do it. You let me know if you have any questions. Well, if you don't know what you're doing, you don't even know what questions to ask. Right. And so I found through, um, some training and then ended up getting the chance to train situational leadership development Um, the importance of of clarifying, asking questions and trying to identify for an employee in a specific task. Do you need high direction? Do you need high support? And varying those applications to lead that person well for that specific piece. And oftentimes I would see a high performing employee give them a new task and just assume that they're good at everything else. They're going to be good at this. Well, if I ask one of my team members now, who's my finance director to edit a video, I'm going to know that she's going to need more than just, you've got this, make it look like this one. Right. right. Um, But oftentimes in a less obvious example, she may not feel comfortable in doing uh, an amortization schedule because she's not a trained accountant. She, She just knows the systems and processes that we have. And so the importance of as a leader saying, Hey, what questions can I answer in this moment? What does the leader for you in this task do or not do? And oftentimes they'll say, Hey, I'm just, I'm just overwhelmed. Well, cool. Let's break it down into pieces. Or, hey, I'm just not sure I'm going to be successful at this. Well, I believe in you. And trying to do a good job of of assessing where an employee's at in a specific task, not not overall, but in a specific task, um, and it it's led me to being significantly more successful for an employee where they are in kind of their 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 overall kind of continuum, um, rather than just poorly diagnosing and only trying to do one or two things. And I see so many leaders. Um, I mean, this week alone had two or three interactions with leaders within our organization who definitely are a one size fits all approach. Right. And they don't see that they're disabling their team from growing. And you ask them, what's your goal? I want a highly performing team. Well, you've got to get them there. Mm-hmm. And it takes different, a different leadership style based on where an employee is and the work that you're asking them to do. And that just blew my mind. Um, even just awareness that, I'm a delegator by nature is is healthy me knowing it's, it's, it's how I want to be led. So it's the way I'm leading people. But if I don't ask the right questions, I'm not helping them be great at what they do. And in essence, what happens is why didn't you do that? Well, it's so easy to point, you know, point mm-hmm. at them, man, I just, I thought you were better at this. And no one will say, You asked me to do something I've never done before. Why would you expect me to be good without help? Right. Or you gave me such ambiguous direction. I don't even, I couldn't even measure success to know that I did or I didn't do the job well. And so that situational leadership development in me was huge. And then being able to lead other leaders through it, um, I think, I think definitely opened up. Um, More opportunities for me to lead and lead well, for sure. Yeah. I think the other two, and they're not, maybe not as complex, but um, I used to lead through authority. I remember especially my first, like I was the boss job. Um, I remember looking at an employee who was a few years older than me and I knew I was his boss. And I remember saying, "I I need you to do it because I say so. I don't have time right now to talk about the why. And I knew it didn't feel good. And I knew he didn't respond well, um, but I didn't, I didn't have the tools, resources, skills. I didn't have the wisdom to know that that's not leadership. That's management. That's not leadership. And, and so I learned really through years, unfortunately, and, and learned, this is one of those lessons I have learned at church that, um that to lead through relationship and, not authority lead to relational equity and not position or or pay, um, or organizational structure. And, um, I see it a lot in young leaders for sure, especially their first time as a director. They, they just, they get fatigued and they just say, I just need you to do it, to do it. And if you're a leader of volunteers, that's not going to work. <laughs> and if you're a leader of, of, of a millennial or a Gen Zer, it's definitely not going to work because they don't work for you. They work for the mission. All right. And so we've got to continue to draw them back. And mm-hmm. it was confirming to some degree, there's, um, excellence wins that book. It's not, it's obviously very common, but talking about the, you know, the hierarchy of excellence, that relational excellence is always more important than operational excellence, financial excellence, even customer service excellence, because that's what, that's what gets the employee to do what you want them to do when you're not looking. Right. And for me, I learned time and time again, that if I put you know, six months of relational equity into a development relationship with a member of the team when I come to them and they, in the heat of battle and, and need them to follow through on something that's critical and important. Um, as long as I give them the vision and I've got the relational equity, um, they'll follow through. And um, that was a huge one for me. And I definitely learned a lot about that in volunteer leadership because it's probably 10 times more important for that relational equity to draw them back to why they're a part of what we do. Right. And knowing that if you're grumpy with them, You've not just changed their day. You've changed their perception of their church. Um, And maybe, unfortunately, their perception of their God. Um, Because it's all intertwined in such a key way. We've got to love them first. God doesn't lead us through authority. Thank goodness. We'd all live very short lives. And that's not to say that God doesn't have authority. But um, that love is such an essential part of us. us, um, And at least how God leads me. Yeah, um, And the last one is, it was, I only learned this one recently, um, but is, is the, the impact of pride on leadership. Mm. Um, and I used to define pride as love of self. And I'm not that guy. It's st- tough to say that I'm a performer, but not a narcissist. Because <laughs> yeah. um, those sometimes go hand in hand. Right. But, but um, I used to think that when someone would say, are you prideful? Um, I would say, well, no, I, I don't really like myself. Um, but that's not it. Um Lencioni talks about in Team Player that pride is not just a love of oneself, it's a love of one's own opinions. Mm. Ooh, now wait a minute. Um, And so often I found in leading that my confidence in my own perspective, my confidence in my own opinion was not only what helped me to be a, a good leader, but what would keep me from being a great leader because I, w- I fell in love with with my own opinions. And so I, I get made fun of. If you go into my office, you'll see it's taped on my door. I always say too much. And I pledge that 2021, this is going to go away <laughs> for what it's worth. And that was a discipline for me to mm-hmm. say, this is just my perspective. Yeah. you know Hey, for what it's worth. And the answer may be it's worth nothing, but for what it's worth- um, blah, 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 blah. And so embracing that a love of one's own opinions is pride and that, that you can't be a great team player if you're not humble, um, was, it was just blew my mind. And it took a, a coworker who I can still consider a friend look at me in the eyes and saying, Hey, I just need you to know how the way you do things makes me feel. I feel like I don't know what I'm talking about. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like you don't trust me and you don't respect me. And it took like that strong of an approach um, to to get there. And I remember going home that night and processing with my wife, which I'm so thankful for. And I said, this is what, this is what so-and-so said to me. Yeah, she's right. And I went, oh gosh, why didn't you say something sooner? She's like, that's not my job. And so I think those were our four examples I could think of as I was writing things down as to what, you know, what, what probably opened the door um, to be a greater leader, break through some of those lids. So, Wow, what a great session. As we
0: just heard from T.J. Terry from Water's Edge Church. And the good news is, is T.J. was so gracious to give us a few more moments of his time, so we were able to capture session two. So if you've enjoyed session one, we want to invite you to check out session two as well. If you haven't subscribed to the E-Team podcast, please do so on the iTunes and or iHeartRadio platforms. And we would also like to ask for you to share this with as many people as you can so we can continue to grow the network to provide insightful and encouraging conversations. Thanks so much for tuning in to the E-Team podcast. Wow, what a great session, as we just heard from TJ Terry from Waters Edge Church. And the good news is, is TJ was so gracious to give us a few more moments of his time to capture session two. So if you've enjoyed session one, we want to encourage you to check out session two as well. If you haven't had a chance to subscribe to the E-Team podcast on the iTunes and or iHeartRadio platforms, we would like to ask you to do that now and to share this with as many people as you can so we can continue to grow the network to provide insightful and encouraging conversations. Thanks so much for tuning in to the E-Team podcast.